welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discuss pop culture with a geeky bent. My name's Chris, and with me as always is my co-host Steve. Steve, how are you doing? Uh, hello Chris, how are you? <laughs> yeah, very well, very well. So, uh, you got any news nuggets? No. No news nuggets? There's no news nuggets. Okay. Um, it's a nice autumn day outside, but other than that, there is no hardcore news here. Okay, so let's get right on with it then. Let's so get stuck into today it. Today we are here to discuss, finally, uh, <laughs> Uh, the Doctor Who episode I set Steve to watch, um, which is Blink. You finally got me to watch Doctor Who again after... 30. <laughs> Not quite 30, probably 25 maybe years. I'm going to say 20 years. I must have been a bit teenager. Yeah. Maybe less than 20. Yeah, it's somewhere in that region. It somewhere is a long region. time. Um, but let's build up the tension a little bit here. So... <laughs> Talk about a past with with a show. Um, so my past with Doctor Who is is uh, long and storied. Mm. Um, so I'll give you a brief whistle stop tour. I'm um, always fascinated at how you got into it. So am I. I mean, I, I, I'm not quite sure what happened. What the the basics of it are when I was very very young. Mm. I know that I was watching repeats of the Sylvester McCoy era. UK on Gold, TV. right? No, not even UK Gold. Like this was terrestrial tv right we're talking back when we lived when we had the, the tv that didn't have the remote and you had to press and it had like metal bars instead of buttons yeah yeah and you, you could easily like mess it up if your like finger was sweaty or yeah wet. if your finger was sweaty you were going to channel five instead of channel three Got yeah. so uh at that time i remember i watched some doctor who i had a dalek toy i don't mm -hmm. really remember much about it mm -hmm. just that it was colourful and fun and, and I, I, I liked it. And I didn't think about it again for probably uh, the, the better part of 10 years. And then <clears throat> one day we were watching... Do you remember there was a period of time where it seemed like every Friday or Saturday night we would all sit around as a family and watch like some top 10 or like some recap of a decade. Yep. So they were always the same. They always had the same people, Rona Cameron, Stuart McConey. Yeah, it was always the same. <laughs> like, Stuart McConey lives in a studio somewhere. He doesn't live in a home. He lives in a studio surrounded by a camera saying, oh, the 70s. I love the 70s. I especially love Blank. Yeah. Blank was really good. Yeah, and I think they just edited in whatever he might have said that week. I really love Blank 7. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. I don't remember that. Could you pretend you remembered? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so Stuart McCody. So it was always, I don't know what it was. It was just this period where they were always on, I think, Channel 4. And we would watch endless top 10 stadium rock bands. Top 10 of the 80s, 90s, 70s, 60s. Oh, yeah. Um, and so contained within at least one of those was a, a, a Doctor Who thing. Mm -hmm. And as usual, they were, you know, simultaneously, you know kind of irreverently mocking it yeah uh, for it being a bit old and cheap and tacky but at the same time saying oh but it was great and oh you loved it and you've always watched it from behind the sofa and it was a bit scary and here's an anecdote about what me mum used to say and all very charming and that kind of put me in you know put it back in my head you know the blue box the daleks everything kind of sort of whirling around so on our next trip to macro mm -hmm. <laughs> yep um and another staple of our childhood going to the cost-cutting well, it's, wholesaler. Yeah, it's a wholesaler. It was a Costco. It was a wholesaler. We had a membership because of uh, Dad's work. Yeah. yeah. So uh, in in Macro, um, I purchased, or more likely got Mum to buy me uh, a Doctor Who tape. Yeah. And that was the 
I remember. Yeah, there was yeah. the Stones of Blood featuring Tom Baker. Oh, Tom Baker was the star. Ni- I nice, remember that. Nice little four-parter. And um, it's one of those things that you often... People often say, like, my doctor was the one I grew up with, and the one I grew up with was blank. Now, of course, given that I'm only 30 and not 90, I didn't grow up with William Hartnell or Patrick Troughton or any of them, but... I often think of Tom Baker as my doctor. Sure. Because that was the first tape I had. I just watched that endlessly over and over again. It was a very silly story about the... <laughs> the stones at Stonehenge were actually, like, aliens. Right, of course that they are. They were silic- of course. They were silicon-based life forms that came to life. So when they did blood sacrifices, the stones were fed blood, hence stones of blood. Um, Brilliant. But you know what? Despite all the silliness and everything, Tom Baker always manages to carry those kind of stories off because right. he's a bit silly and a bit fun with it. Um, and yeah, so then I would come to watch uh, the Sunday morning Doctor Who omnibus on UK Gold where I would sort of catch up with what was happening in the week. And mm-hmm. um, Whenever you would come in and watch it, you would always see the worst part. You would see Peter Davidson throwing the cricket ball against the spaceship and go like, oh, this is so stupid, Chris. They're playing cricket in space. And then you would go again. Or you would come in for the cheapest looking part of the whole episode or the yeah. silliest part. And I'd always be like, no, you don't understand, Steve. It's such a, oh, it's such a engaging show with great moral quandaries in front of us. But yeah. you never got to see it. Never got to see it. You never got to always see it. Always made fun of it. And so as we mentioned in our first episode, when we did our first ever cultural exchange yeah i i hit you with the five doctors yeah which was the anniversary episode where they couldn't get tom baker because he didn't want to be typecast and he'd only just quit yeah so they had it was really four and one of them was dead so it was kind of three uh three (laughs) and a replacement actor three and a replacement who looked a lot like the guy yeah yeah william herndl was his name right which is really strange because he was replacing william hartnell um but yes it was I thought it was the pinnacle. I thought it was brilliant. Mm. You thought it was garbage, mm. if I recall, pretty mm. much. You tried to say something constructive about it. I remember you tried to be quite good about it. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what you said. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, you were just like, no, I can't do it. It was cheap. It was crap. It was stupid. <laughs> it didn't make any sense. <laughs> and that's probably because, as well, of even Star Trek, Doctor Who has such a long history yeah, and such a long canon that even then... There was hundreds of episodes in, yeah. and you're like, "What?" <laughs> <laughs> no, don't you get the genius of it, Steve? No, I don't, no. because it's not accessible. But uh, anyway, yeah, and, and it was it, it was my mistake. I fucked up. I picked completely the wrong thing to show you because it's only fun to watch all the doctors together if you knew them all separately. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it would be like me showing you like a clip show or like an anniversary thing where people come back together. Yeah, you know. Um, and I, I should have just picked one of the classic episodes that had, you know, where it didn't matter that it was a bit cheap and a bit tacky because it was yeah. all about the performances and it was all about, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> Brings us to today. So I decided I would take a new tack. I would go for modern Doctor Who. Correct. Which has the advantage of not quite looking so cheap because it's, it's a bit newer. It's certainly got a much bigger budget than it used to. Um, and even though, you know, some of the CG looks a little bit ropey, uh, I picked one that is uh, quite CG light. Mm-hmm. So, as you're aware, this is this episode is the top of every list of... You're talking about Blink. Talking about Blink. So Blink is, is the top of every list when it comes to Doctor Who episodes of the new era. 
or certainly in everybody's top five to ten. Right. So, in a nutshell, what did you think? Interesting. Okay. Interesting, and I could see why you picked it. So it's a, you know obviously it's a standalone, so therefore it's self-contained, mm-hmm. and um, and it was easily accessible to to kind of get with. That said, I'm not sure I was still a big fan of it. Okay. And I will be, but I am now 36 years old, Chris. Yeah. I will be much more constructive. Much more constructive. And tell you what I liked and disliked. However, I was kind of watching it, and you know I've got my notes down here and. Okay, the first thing that kind of really struck me about it is even though it was modern it, and it's no fault of its own in the way it was written. So again, this is something you can't really blame it for. Yeah. But it has aged in some ways. <laughs> Not the less that it revolves around a friggin' DVD store. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I was going to say, and this is the first thing I kind of wanted to bring up. But first of all, b- before I bring up what I'm going to yeah, bring yeah. up, I want to put everyone in the room with me, okay? Okay. So you've got to imagine Steve's, Steve sat there watching this. So this is think the first of these that we've done where we watched the thing we were going to discuss together that's right you basically went sit down and watch it because otherwise steve wasn't going to watch it so <laughs> i sat him down and i made him watch it and you know what it's like when you're, you're you're trying to get someone to watch something and you want them to like it and you're a bit nervous that they're not gonna like it you know and you're often looking over trying to trying to see oh did, did that get a laugh did that get a titter did he did, did he seem to enjoy that so steve sat there stony face like <laughs> this is this is Steve's face at a funeral kind of face, like, <laughs> impassive the whole time. And all you get out of him, you know, I offered him drinks, no drinks. You, you want a, you want a water? Nah. Okay. There was no snack review because there, there was, was no, no snacks. snacks. No snack. I just no. sat there, had a, uh, actually it did have a water. I forced you to have a water. You said no and I brought one over anyway. <laughs> I had it and that yeah. was it. <laughs> and so, so all, all I got out of Steve was every, I'd say 10 minutes, he'd do this. He'd go, <clears throat> he'd clear his throat. He would reach for his notepad, he would write something down, and he would put it back down and resume watching. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, it's, uh, I, I equate it to what it's like if you see someone writing down in an interview something about you, you're a bit nervous because it's like, I'm not sure if I want to see that. It might say this guy's a clown, don't give him the job, or it might say he's fantastic. Yeah. So I, 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 I specifically try not to look at an interviewer's notepad, and much the same, I was really trying not to look at Steve's notepad. So every time I was just like, Oh, he's just going to write down, shit. (laughs) (laughs) Looks cheap. British actors are rubbish. (laughs) Nailed it, Chris. Um, mm. No, certainly my notes didn't say that. Uh, But yeah, so to your point about um, how it's unfortunately aged a little bit, given that it was based around what at the time was the modern technology, DVDs. Um, But now the way they keep talking about them, and talking about it in a way as if you wouldn't know what a DVD Easter egg was... (laughs) So it had to kind of explain to you, it's like, DVD Easter eggs, you know, they've got all these wild special features on them, but some of them are hidden, right? <laughs> um, so, and, and this is, the reason I want to bring this up is, is because this is a running sore throughout the newer seasons right. uh, for me. It pr- probably happened to the old ones, but I'm not as aware of it. But in the newer seasons of Doctor Who, they try to incorporate modern technology modern references mm. which only really serve to date the show extremely um in fact just the other day i was watching uh brand new doctor who with jodie whittaker right right and she's got her new companions and she's just come down to earth and she's trying to garner some information right and so one of them's like okay i'm gonna hit up social media <laughs> and then the other one goes 
I'll talk to my nursing group on WhatsApp. <laughs> right, okay, yeah, yeah. And then Bradley Walsh is like, I'll speak to the bus drivers because I know everything. But the mentions, first of all, the, the loose mention of social media just seems kind of odd. It's like, well, well, what? What do you mean? Social yeah, media, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Check Twitter for aliens. And then the, the fact, you know, I don't say, oh, I'm just chatting to Steve on WhatsApp. <laughs> yeah. I'm on Facebook Messenger. You know, the mention of what it is is clearly an effort to make the show sound current, but at the same time, will hugely date it in a few years. Yeah. But currently, even is a bit kind of grating and and uh, jarring is the word I'm looking yeah, for. Yeah, I, I I go along with that in a, in a few regards. So I don't watch Doctor Who. Yeah. But. I always knew that it was considered a kids show, and your fans would be like, "Well, it's not a kids show. It was on like Saturday at six o'clock. That wasn't a kids yeah. show." And what struck me when I was watching it was, it felt like a kids show trying to be grown up. Mm -hmm. So it was one of those ones you'd watch on Nickelodeon that had the teenagers on it. Like, oh, you're afraid of the dark. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> but it wasn't really an adult show. It was kind of yeah. a kids show, and I, and that kind of came across to me in so many different regards. The fact. That character was called like Sally Sparrow and her friend was so-and-so Nightingale and you're like oh well like they're both birds oh I get that you know like a hole in the head yeah. and those kind of dated references like oh DVDs and Easter eggs I mean <laughs> I've got lots of issues with the Easter eggs in general but I just love the fact that like yeah this whole time travel paradox revolves around someone's ability to watch 17 DVDs <laughs> and, 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 and it happens in so many science fiction things it gets dated quickly yeah. because they don't put it far enough forward they don't think far enough forward i mean think about it star trek predicted communicators and tricorders and all sorts but we're in 2018 not 2260 or whatever yeah and actually tricorders seem quite underpowered considering what a phone right can do now. exactly <laughs> you know captain picard and these pads and all that stuff yeah. um so for that you almost think like well just invent something you know and, and think forward and exactly like social media like you would just say oh it's, just make up something you know grab a look more and you're like oh yeah that's very modern now in this age we're in wherever this time is but yeah. of course it's and of course it's the it's the age old problem of oh actually i suppose in, in a way this one kind of gets around that the the problem often with modern doctor who much like previous doctor who is whenever he happens to land on earth which is about every other episode mm. which is a bit more plausible now because there's in the long long running canon of the series about a certain point he learned to fly the tardis so for the first like four or five doctors the joke was that he doesn't actually know how to pilot it so it just kind of takes him places randomly and in the very early days it was so you're right it is a kid's show and it was a kid's show and it was a edutainment kind of thing so it was a historical show so he would travel he met marco polo and he met uh you know he was at the gunfight at the okay corral so he would see all these famous historical events and you would be informed about them through the doctors yeah uh things and of course he would always he accidentally sinks the mary celeste things like that um of course oh, that was really bad but um <laughs> they kind of went away from that but then every time he came to earth it would happen to be whatever the present day was when right. it was airing so in the 70s it was always the 70s and now it is like this very moment in time yeah and it's like well that sooner or later that's got to stop happening <laughs> yeah you know he very rarely even just turns up in the 70s or the 80s or you know something comparable so let, let's talk about this then. Let's let's just bring it back to this actual episode then. So as I understand it, it's a standalone episode. Yeah. Actually, I think it, it either won or was nominated for the Hugo Award. 
yeah. which we've discussed before with Babylon 5. So obviously held in high regard by the yeah. science fiction community as well as Doctor Who fans, right? Yeah. And I get why, right? So you've got self-contained, classic kind of sci-fi, time travel paradox mm -hmm. going on, which I respect, right? You know, you got these little things, you know, these aliens which move if you blink or whatever. Yeah. That's quite cool. I could see definitely like six o'clock kids. I can imagine, you know, your son yeah. watching this and hiding behind the couch. Well, yeah, I mean, literally. So he was sat there. He wasn't really watching it. He was sat there while we were watching it, you know, doing something else on the iPad. But he he took me aside the next day and said, Daddy, no more spooky Doctor Who. No more spooky Doctor <laughs> Who, right? So he doesn't like spooky Doctor Who, because I think the bits he saw, I think, did freak him out a little bit. Exactly. And I can imagine for a child that was very well done and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, for me, it had those kind of little good things. And it was quite good, you know, it wasn't all about the Doctor and his companions yeah. and like a four-part mega story. Mm -hmm. um, but again, like when you're dealing with time travel paradoxes, they have a way of kind of always flowing, which is... There's no start, there's no end, mm. you know, and I, I did get a little bit kind of frustrated <laughs> with the fact that it was like, okay, so it already started and then she has to start it yeah. at the end with this um, file of facts of information, yeah. which this doctor and just happens to turn up inside this <laughs> DVD shop, you know, <laughs> is going to start off again. But meanwhile, her friend went back to 1920, whatever, <laughs> and is dead, <laughs> is never coming back. Doctor, you could go back in time and save her. Well, no, I'm not going to yeah. do that. So she's dead. Yeah. She's paid the price for this little escapade. Now, you see, what's what's interesting, so I, I picked this episode um, for quite a few reasons, one of which is it is simultaneously very Doctor who -y, Yeah. but actually also very different. Yeah. So it's very different in the sense, that, as you say, the Doctor's actually a background character. He doesn't appear physically until just over the halfway mark i think mm -hmm. we only see him in this this looped video that appears in all these dvd easter eggs yeah so until that point we, we don't really see much of him and then even then it's only very brief and then the plot goes back to yeah uh our leading lady sally now i thought she did a fine job i thought she was she was good. all right she was, I, all she was charismatic i thought she you know she did well enough to carry the episode herself and the other thing that was kind of untypical is that, given that it's a show about time travel, they almost never do time travel episodes, if you see what I mean. Yeah, I know what you mean. So the time travel happens at the start of the episode to get them to the area for their adventure, they have their adventure, and then they go again. It's almost never happened that there's been a time loop or a time paradox that's actually about moving. And yeah. they kind of explained that away. They did that... One of the very good Christopher Eccleston episodes, and there aren't many, um, but one of the very good ones they did early on was he took Billy Piper back in time and she saved her father's life because he was dead. And he kept saying to her, like, if you do this, there will be pretty dire consequences. And it got a little silly. There was dragons. But the, <laughs> the point that was trying to be made was the, the, like, the timeline will try and fix itself like time he needs to die because that is what has happened yeah in time i i can change little things but i can't change big things and so and then there's another episode actually a bit later in tenant's reign where he um in fact right at the end of it he saves a woman's life who he knows is going to historically have died at this event 
Um, and he says, why can't I intervene? Why shouldn't I be able to? I'm going to do it. Yeah. He saves her life, and then she immediately goes and shoots herself in the head. Right. You know, because the point being, you can't alter what's going to happen. Right. It will happen. Yeah. So, in that respect, we're kind of primed at the canon. It, it, just, it, it just means we cannot solve every problem by him jumping in the TARDIS and going back five minutes before something happens. Yeah. Uh, which you kind of need in a show that's all about a time traveller, because otherwise mm-hmm. there would never be any suspense or drama or anything. And so, yeah, so again, it was really well done that it was a time travel episode, but again, it wasn't him doing the time travelling, mm-hmm. and there was only so much he could do to set things in motion. I think there's probably a lot of Doctor Who fans who would be like, that's not the best episode, <laughs> because it doesn't feature him that right, much, yep. and because it is such a difference, and it is so you know, such a change-up. But I figured the change-up would be the only thing that would get you through an episode of Doctor Who. Right, okay. <laughs> the only thing that would get me through. Well, I appreciate the thought that you put into it. I mean, it's still got the kind of the classic time travel paradox of, you know, when does it start, when does it end, time is a circle. Oh, and by the way, if I have to hear the phrase uh, timey-wimey again, I'm actually going to kill David Tennant because <laughs> that grated so much. Actually, the whole thing grated so much with regards to his character. But that's just me and Doctor Who. I think I'm just, as constructively as I'm trying to approach it, I'm just not a fan. The big difference here is, like, I felt like if I gave you Blink, you could find something to enjoy about Idea, that yeah, yeah, And yeah. You, you have. Yeah. And I probably could give you a handful of episodes from the new sort of reign where you could sit down and watch it and go, no, nah, I appreciated that. There was some, there was some good there. Uh, you know, because th- there is definitely some, and some of them might have even been better than than Blink for this particular scenario. But unlike you and me with Babylon Five, I could not and would not make you try getting right. to Doctor Who. Yeah. Because a lot of the things you dislike about this, in sort of the abstract, yeah. you would find ten times worse. Because Timey Wimey is kind of one of his catchphrases. Oh. Right. So he uses that a lot. And but what, what it came across at in the episode was like, oh, I can't really explain it because it's wibbly wobbly timey wimey. Yeah. And I first of all thought, that's a horrendous phrase. I really don't like it. But also, it was just like, it's classic. Is it Stephen Moffat who wrote this? Yes. Right. So what I do know about Stephen Moffat from both Doctor Who and from other things is that fans generally start to fall out of love with him because he does things like this, which is... I've set this up, but I'm not really going to explain it. Yeah. And it's, <laughs> it's called Damon Lindelof curse, right? Yeah, it's yeah exactly the, lost, the same. The guy. <laughs> it's exactly the same as Lindelof. He will set things up, bring a mystery, a bit like J.J. Abrams, and then not really explain it, and then it just sort of kind of peters out and everything. Everybody gets a little bit disappointed in him. And uh, so when they were trying to explain it all, I was like, eh, I'm not really going to explain it. Other than the Doctor's fine after this, because he kind of, suits it all in motion yeah. and, and solves it himself with through the use of this woman. Um, but yeah, the, the policeman and the poor friend are yeah. dead. <laughs> you see, that's one of the things I quite like about the episode because actually it's very rare that there's many consequences to what happens in Doctor Who. Right. I think that's one of the reasons people but prefer that episode because quite often the Daleks can invade an entire world and a named character will never be touched. I understand that. Mm. However, when we talk about consequences to actions... The actions are never made by those people. No. Those action, those events happen to them, and they pay the price for the girl investigating yeah. or the doctor or whatever. Um, so that's why it kind of felt a little bit shallow with me because I was like, so this Sparrow girl is investigating, but you know her friend dies in this. Can we talk about Detective 
Shipton. Or Shipton. Yeah. What an interesting accent he had. I <laughs> <laughs> okay. I just wondered whether like one actor came in and he was like, Yeah, I'll, re- I'll read these lines. And he did the lines and said, All right, so actually we've already cast the other actor and he's got a very interesting Afro-Caribbean accent, which you're gonna to have to mimic now. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, okay. It did, so yeah, it did it did feel I mean it might be his actual accent, I don't know the actor, but it, it was quite strong. It was like it either the older bit. actor or the younger actor had the accent, and the other one was like, "You're gonna have to go." You've got to match. So I just, I just wrote down here, <laughs> Detective Inspector Shipton, interesting accent. Yes, it was. It was, <laughs> it was I, I, I think, I think I will avoid offending anyone by trying to impersonate his particular. Let's accent. not do that. But yeah, very strong Afro-Caribbean, as you say, sort of uh, lilt. But that's um, the thing, is like, you know, this is, I don't even know if it was London. I can't remember where it was set yeah, in. Yeah, it's in always UK. London. <laughs> there we go, right? It's yeah. always London. But he, of course, he's got a very strong accent and and immediately tries to put the moves on yeah. someone over a case. And I was like, I'm not entirely sure if I'm... Uh, it's pretty unprofessional. Pretty unprofessional. <laughs> I think you get fired. And, you know, one of my, one of my thinking about this episode... Um, on because I've rewatched it twice in, in recent succession right and you know it's not perfect the, you know there are there are flaws to it I, I do really enjoy it I think where it would be better yeah is if instead of just you know having like she's got her friend Miss Nightingale at the start right we get to know her we get a bit of background the best friends forever all of a sudden she disappears and she never sees her again then she meets the guy he puts the moves on her she's like a little bit charmed by him maybe i'll go for a drink then he gets zapped to the past and then she sits with him as he dies that probably would have had more emotional impact had we not just met him right and i get that we are doing what she's done she's just met him yeah now she's seeing him yeah, die yeah, yeah. that's yeah. a bit weird for her but i think it would have been so much better if we'd had the whole episode building up this shipton guy building up a little bit of chemistry between them and a bit of romance and then it's a bit tragic that he gets zapped back and she has to watch him die. But it's a lot to fit into 40 minutes though, isn't it? Well, that's it. Because so, she can't yeah. have a, a relationship with this guy and have an emotional pull as well as apparently the brother mm-hmm. of the of her friend yeah. <laughs> who she kind of... I don't know if they're a couple or they just work together by the end, but... Well, that's that's the mystery. That's, the... <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's up to the audience. Um, but I've got, I got to say, yeah. like, it's so funny. Like He's sitting there in the hospital and like, oh, by the way... Uh, today's the day I'm going to die. Yeah. And I'm going to die pretty much as soon as this rain ends. I'm like, oh, how would you know? How would you know? How would you know how you <laughs> felt? How would you know it was when the rain ends? I mean, the fucking weather here is unpredictable at the best of times. She's like, 11.46, I'm going to die, which just happens to be today when you need to investigate this. And, I was just like, and then, of course, when he's dead, because it's, you know, it's, um, the, the, the hospital ward is empty at that point, and she's kind of just standing and then she st- starts to walk out triumphantly yeah, with towards purpose. the ne- with yeah. purpose to the next thing. It's like that ward is completely empty. I call bullshit. <laughs> I call bullshit because I know I know an NHS hospital, and there'd be like four other people there. There'd be one pissing in the corner. Yeah. There'd be <laughs> nurses running up and down. Like forget it. That guy's not dying on his own. <laughs> he's got his own bed. He's not got not his own in the room. NHS. <laughs> Come on. I mean, it could be a private hospital. I don't know, but. Uh... Yeah, so, I mean, I, I think if either character, so either Mr. Shipton or her friend, her other friend, if they had been more of a focal point, right. and it had just been the one person that kind of got zapped back, it would have a bit more, uh, you know, emotional pull, I think. But yeah, going back briefly to 
uh, one of the issues I think I, I that you would have with with modern Doctor Who, and it's something I've really struggled with. Right. Is even though there is a continuity to it, yeah, there is so so much retconning, yeah, all the time, yeah, and in any given episode, there will be something where the next episode you'll go, well, why didn't you do that this time? Yes. Um, and it. So I love it, but it drives me completely bonkers. Yeah. One such example uh, is this whole thing recently. So obviously Jodie Whittaker is now in the TARDIS. Yep. She's the first female Doctor. Yeah. That is a massive retcon because in the original series, there were Time Lords and Time Ladies. And it, every male Time Lord regenerated into a new male and every female Time Lady regenerated into a new female and never the two had met. And it was fairly well established that they were gendered. And in this season, instead of saying something's changed ever since the time war, things are different, any bullshit they could have pulled out. <laughs> Science didn't. fiction. Instead, they were just like, no, we're not gendered. You know, so they tested the water, they turned the master into a woman, and that, you know, people didn't have a riot. And they were like, okay, so we can get away with this now, so now the doctor will be a right. woman. And I find it a little bad that they've, they've managed to go for a woman before they managed to get a black doctor as well. Like... So what's the, that about? Well, well, you know they've decided to change that. I guess um, it, it's interesting. It, it, it's very twenty eighteen, isn't it? It's very well. Let's let's do this. And of yeah. course, there's a lot of people who are very happy with that. And yeah. I don't personally have a dog in the fight. You know, it's fine for me. Obviously, if you were a hardcore fan, mm -hmm. and you, as you said, time lords, time ladies, you would just stand up at the convention and go, "Excuse me." <laughs> and then just rhyme it off and yeah, say and it's well established <laughs> Gallifreyan law they're gendered why did it's a yeah. spit in the face to the fans and you you know there'll be a lot of people who say you're you're being a bad egg about it but there's also a lot of you know hardcore fans that would agree with you you know yeah. and the thing is I'm not I'm not unhappy about it I think Jodie Whittaker is brilliant for the role I think I think it's a very positive message to say to people, you could be a man, you could be a woman, it's what's on the inside. They've done a lot to set that up going prior to that with Peter Capaldi. Right. Who, you know, did a lot about, like, you know, we're not genders. I think I was a man back then. I can't remember. What, what does it matter? Which I think is a really positive message, and so I think it's important that they've yep. done it, actually. I, I do. I just, from a canon point of view, it just <laughs> niggles at me right. that, you know, th there isn't so much as a... Oh well, we used to be gendered, but we're not anymore. That would—that's all I needed to hear. Right. Just something like that would have made it feel less like, because there's so there are so so many things where from episode to episode, the rules change, the laws change. You know, it's like I say, they've they've basically established that the doctor can't save people's lives. But the time he did, like I say, she saw she shot herself in the head. No dragons turned up that time. Right. <laughs> They'll never turn up again because they've done that story, and that's the problem. Once they've done a story, they don't want to revisit it. Yeah. So, but what that means is that things things never have any kind of lasting effect in the canon. Things very rarely make sense between between episodes. And the biggest thing is the sonic screwdriver. Right. So introduced in Patrick Troughton's era in the late sixties, early seventies, late sixties. It was a literal screwdriver. Yeah. But look, it does it through sound. How cool is that? Right. Just a little thing. And then he managed to use it to do a little bit of repair stuff, and nobody really minded. But now, way ahead in the future, it is just, it's like the Deus Ex Machina. It's whatever we needed yep. to be this episode, yep. it is. So there was one time where an episode ended, or it, there was like a, maybe an act break, with a whole troop of Cybermen walking right towards Matt Smith's Doctor. And we were all going like, oh, he's fucked. What's he 
gonna do? Yeah. How's he gonna get out of this yeah. one? What clever way will the writers come up with for him to escape it? And he just throws up a sonic screwdriver and goes, Pshh! and they all turn around and walk away. And I was like, okay, so that means I can never feel threatened by the Cybermen again because I know if it ever gets too hairy, you'll just use your magic screwdriver. Yeah. And make them go away. Yeah. And of course, he never does that again. Of course. And in fact, Peter Capaldi regenerated because he got shot by a Cyberman. When all he had to do was take out his little sonic screwdriver. There we go. Drives me fucking bonkers. <laughs> but it's, you know, so it's, I, I love I loved the show, but I can see, as an older person, I see more the flaws in it. And I see how much, like you say, it is a kid's show. It's... What it really is, I think, is like a sort of a pre-teens to teenagers kind of show. Sure. It's got lasting appeal to those of us that grew up with it. And and so it does have appeal for adults and there's some things in there for adults. But I think, yeah, sometimes you just have to take your brain out a bit and say, I'm just going to enjoy the rock. Which is a shame because it's science fiction and therefore it should be a bit more cerebral. Yeah, um, and, and that's what's, what's kind of funny about it because some of the episodes are incredibly cerebral mm. and, you know, about very, very deep things. And then there's an episode, uh, there was one called Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. Right. Guess what that was about? I could guess. It had Mitchell and Webb in it as uh, sort of robots. Right. Uh, who were just and that's like an old married that, couple. And that sounds completely Doctor Who to me, which is yeah. very British. Yeah. Very much, you know, kind of comedy and drama straddling the same line, tongue in cheek, that kind of thing. I could see that. The second you said Mitchell and Webber's robots, I was like, yeah, that's Doctor Who. Yep, that's it. <laughs> that's it. And and specifically, that's very Moffat. So Moffat, as you say, is is known... The, the biggest problem with him is that he is a massive fan of Doctor Who from years back. So the plus side of that is he loves to bring stuff in, you know, little nods to the old show. You know, he, like, um, for a while, Peter Capaldi's Doctor was lecturing at university... And he had a picture on his desk that was the Doctor's very first companion, Susan, who is his granddaughter. It is a family member, and that's quite lovely. And they don't they don't do anything. They don't draw attention to it. He doesn't say, "Ah, Susan, what would you do if you were here?" It's just there. It's a nice little thing. Yeah. But by and large, he likes to hit you over the head with it. He does all this silly shit. He brings the comedy in at the wrong moments. Right. He's just—he's not my favorite showrunner, and I'm quite glad he's gone. Right. Okay. Well, there's little other issues that I had with it, which were more, less of the the content of the episode, because the actual content of it is a kind of self-contained 45-minute science fiction. I was generally on board with, you know, yeah. um, trying to to defeat these um, statues by basically making them come to you and then. Look at each Let other. them look at each other, which is quite genius, you know, mm. quite simple, but yeah, it makes sense. I think the things that stuck out to me like a sore thumb, apart from Detective Shifton's <laughs> accent, <laughs> Sparrow and Nightingale and yeah. DVDs, were the editing and, and especially the music. The music for me grated. It sounded cheap. It okay. sounded like 1980s Doctor Who at his deathbed kind of a style, you know, yeah. like someone can't afford a whole orchestra so instead I'm going to do it on my Casio keyboard yeah. and I just I just wrote down here music is horrendous <laughs> <laughs> I just couldn't take it anymore I was just like oh god it just it was the wrong moments it was the wrong mood it was just too it was like I just needed someone to say 
extra few thousand pounds, go get the Philharmonic down here and just do something. Let's just do this properly. Yeah. This is our Hugo Award, you know, end yeah. zone run. We need to really do this but, properly. But the, the, the thing was, well, how that married up with, for example, the editing was at the very end, where you're talking about how they like to hit you things over the head. Yeah. So after the, so the episode is resolved, yeah. we know why. But instead they decide to like leave you on like a little kind of almost like Tales from the Crypt Keeper and it's cuts of David Tennant going, don't blink. Yeah. Don't turn around. <laughs> and it's like, and it, it cuts in like pictures of normal statues as if yeah. to go, oh God, these aliens are everywhere. <laughs> oh no. Gargoyles and fucking hell, Nelson's column? Like, you know, these are all aliens? Even Nelson's after me. <laughs> exactly, right? And you could just see it being like a, an eight-year-old or whatever on a couch and you're like, oh no, mom, the statue's about to get yeah. me. And they're like, they're cutting it back and forth. Yeah. And definitely don't blink. And <laughs> the music's getting really dramatic. I just had to, and there's a, Oh god! Right? Okay. It just—it was just hitting you over the head with sledgehammer. Little heavy-handed. Yeah. Little heavy-handed. And again, what what I like about that is that again, it's one of those things that I think of as very classic Doctor Who because, mm. you know, um, you might you might remember this if only from a fucking Stuart Bacconi interview, but Mary Whitehouse was this. Um, I remember Mary Whitehouse. Yeah, so, you know, moral crusader. Absolutely. Her, the big thing in her sights was Doctor Who, and, of course, all she did was serve to make it far more popular. Yeah. Because she said it's too scary for kids, it's too adult, and yeah. it's too whatever else. Uh, but one of her biggest issues, and one of the things she really went for, was uh, an episode called Terror of the Autons, which was the first... No, it was an early uh, John Kirby episode. Yep. Um, which was the Autons, which were shop dunny, dummies that came to life. It also involved uh, a policeman who you thought was a normal policeman, then he turned around and he turned out to be an Auton, and a few other little things. But the point was household, you know, local things, yeah. nearby things, in some cases household items that turn out to not be what they appear. And I imagine especially in black and white, Yeah, that was kind of cool and scary and atmospheric. You, yeah. you, you think about the cost of doing something, and you do it in black and white and you use shadow and light especially to augment things. I bet it looks a lot um, scarier yeah. and a lot more chilling. Whereas, you know, you've, you, when it's in colour and high, high depth and everything, yeah. maybe a bit too br brightly lit and it's, stuff. It's it a look lot a bit cheap. harder to make things not look cheap. In, in exactly. Sort of Even though I guess it is kind of classic Doctor Who to, to use that, oh, statues are out to get us. We don't have to pay shit for yeah. that, lads. <laughs> we just need four gargoyles and we're done. Yeah. Um, but, you know, but the, so the idea of using, you know, that, that you could, you know, watch the episode and then you're out and about in a high street and you're just like, oh shit, there's a gargoyle over there. Yeah. And I'm going to turn my back on it and just for just a second, I'm going to be so immersed in the story I've just seen, I'm going to think it's right behind me or something. And that's a bit fun. That's, you know, again, it's the sort of thing that is very Doctor Who-y. Um, but yeah, like you like you say, it's it's not subtly done. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is very much... And I mean, that's a lot of modern who is that kind of beat you over the head with it. Do you not understand what's happening yet? Oh one, one other tiny gripe I have about the modern era, and again, something that I know would wind you up just as much as it winds me up, yeah. is they, so they still use freelance writers, by and large. Okay, right. Um, which, as we've probably discussed before, again, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You get yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, you get a lot of different talents in there, yeah. different flavours, but what you also get is A, a lack of continuity. Yeah. And B, they love to say something with a, a defining air of finality that you know isn't going to be final. Sure. So they brought the Master back. He was played by John Sims. Yeah. Uh, and then after the first story, they killed him off. He's done. Master's dead. Dead, dead. No. But not really, 
because someone resurrected him. Yeah. And then he got sucked into a time portal into Gallifrey, which is time-locked, and he can never escape from there. But he got out. Yeah, exactly. We don't know how. Yeah. But he got out. And in the most recent... Big spoiler alert, actually, because this is fairly recent. Um, Spoilers. In one of the last Peter Capaldi episodes, um, John Sims came back. Right. Alongside the new female master, who calls herself Missy, short for mistress. And they get into an argument with one another and end up... She, she, he shoots her in the back just after she's poisoned him or, or something. You know, it's it's actually a really great moment because it's an evil character. Whenever the Doctor comes face to face with himself, they team up and do something good. Yeah. Whenever the Master finally comes face to face with himself and he fucking kills himself. Right. Because that's exactly what he would do because he's just de- degenerate and evil and horrible. And It was a pretty good moment. Yeah. It was actually pretty well done. But what ruined it for me is going... So how are you going to bring him back this time? Right, exactly. Because we both know that you're not going to keep the show going without the Master being there somehow. It's going to be a big reveal. Yeah. And But how are you going to do that? Because you've just told me definitively you can't regenerate because I hit you with too much of this laser beam. Okay. Right. Except so, you've done it before. You. you yeah, yeah, and they'll do it again and it just... And it's it, it, was, it was one of the things I think we brought up in, in our discussion about Star Trek, which is... One of the reasons why we kind of went away from it was you had so many years of next gen, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager overlapping, and Enterprise yeah. overlapping, that all the stories became samey, and yet you knew there was never really any peril, yeah. and they would move on. And that's exactly the same thing you've described there, which is, okay, so he's gone forever, except he isn't. Yeah. But if you did, and you, you know, for example, let, let's talk about the, the, go back and, uh, and talk about the female Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. Maybe something more bold would have been to kill the doctor because he's only got so many he's supposed to have was it 13 lives yeah so the the and they, they got around so much, that they, they didn't so much that. retcon that they said he got a new set of regenerations from the time lords but whatever boom, he's got another 13 exactly yeah. bullshit <laughs> the, the braver thing would have been to actually kill him uh-huh. and then follow the story from a, a time lady yeah uh, or mistress or whatever and then and then have that as like a female line of doctor of true lords and then you've got like little yeah, spin-offs and, and, and everything and you know what you could even say he could. They could have a, a passing the torch kind of moment where he passes over the name. You might. You need to be the Doctor now. You need to be who I was and do what I exactly. did. The Doctor and means so much more. And it's still Doctor Who, and it's still the same show. But it's a different person. It's a different person. And and again, sometimes I wish, I wish they had the bravery to try stuff like that. You know, because um, when Capaldi's about to regenerate, so the whole story. And again, this is another. You're really going off base, but tell yeah. me. It's another continuity thing. Sometimes you regenerate instantly. Sometimes you've got about an episode to say your goodbyes. So he got an episode to say, you know, goodbye to a few old companions and have a final adventure with the first Doctor, played by the third now actor who played him. It was a good fun episode, everything else. But underlying, it was a fairly serious thing of him saying, like, but I feel like I'm done. I feel like, you know, I'm tired you don't know what it's like to be immortal and you don't know what it's like to keep outliving everybody that you come to know. Mm. And this life is just incredibly tiring for me and it's incredibly draining and I kind of just want it to be over. And so you've got the juxtaposition of a very silly Christmas episode. Right, yeah, He's yeah. running around with some guy pretending to be William Hartnell and then he's like, but please let me die. <laughs> and, then, and then people, you know, and people... This week in a very special Doctor Who. Exactly. <laughs> and again, Capaldi's got chops. You know, he's a great actor. So he's really carrying this off. At the end of it, you know, they, they talk him into it. You need to live on because you, you've 
you're more than just a man, you're more than just a time lord, you're representative of so much more. And yeah, so you know, again, it's like, well, if, imagine how powerful it would have been if he just did die. He did right, exactly. Because the, the new canon is you can choose not to regenerate. It's a voluntary, physical thing. So he was kind of choosing not to, then at the last minute decided he would. So. Right. So again, that's just that's that, that's obviously an issue for you as yeah. a fan, but um, it kind of for me, I think a, a braver decision would have been to kill him as a character, and maybe have this woman inherit the the doctor yeah, persona and maintain that. I don't know, it's powerful beyond the galaxy. Yeah. Oh, okay, fine, that's me. It's like Ace Rimmer from Red Dwarf, you know. Another slice of British sci-fi <laughs> that I just really cannot get on board with. <laughs> Do you know what it is? Even though, right, so I can watch shows like Expanse or Star Trek Discovery or any other kind of whatever that's not necessarily uh, American or, or Canadian or whatever that has a lot of Americans or Canadians. And I, yeah, I, well, come on, in 23rd century space, you're going to have all sorts of different things, right? Yeah. So I like to see different actors, different voices, and you do, you do get that. I want, but when I see like it all being like homogenous, that really irks me. Whether it's all American or whatever, and of course, Doctor Who is very British, yeah. and it's like wall to wall Britain is like we've arrived in London. And, <laughs> okay, and of course this guy's British, and that guy's British, and this guy from the far future who's a villain is British, British. and yeah. she's British. And then you get, like, the token American or something, like, yeah. is it Captain Jack? Yeah, Captain Jack, who who's was... Who's played by John Barrowman, yeah, who's, who... I think, may have been a stage person, but whatever. Yeah, I mean, big, was... big in Broadway. Big in Broadway. Big in Broadway. And, of course, he's American, and you're like, oh, does that kind of balance skills well a little bit? But you, you kind of feel like, especially with sci-fi, it should be, like, multinational, it should be big budget, it should be, you know, all around the world. And that just seems, things like that in Red Dwarf, but it's like, oh yeah, the computer's British. <laughs> These guys are British. It's just cheap and cheery. Yeah, exactly. Cardboard sets. Cheap, <laughs> cheery, cardboard sets. You know, if they were ever to do like a Blake 7 remake or something, oh, you kind of hope they would make a... That. Well, exactly. Yeah. You could say, okay, Netflix, throw some money at it, but have it like multinational. Because Netflix is all about the international market. Yeah. You know, key guys being British. And have some Americans in there. Maybe have some other people in there from all around the world. And then you've got something cooking. You got a yeah. you got a nice stew going. You yeah. know. <laughs> Mind you, when you do have someone British in an ensemble cast of Americans, or even someone British just turning up in a sci-fi, I can find that very jarring if I'm not expecting it. I agree with you. To wit, the Scottish guy in The Force Awakens. <laughs> like, Take me right out. <laughs> Han Solo, <laughs> you're getting gubbed. You, you It's like. What? Why is this this guy with this really thick Glaswegian accent talking to it's Harrison like, Ford? You've got these Americans and these Brits going, hello, what, 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 what? And then all of a sudden yeah. it's like, come on then! Yeah. <laughs> I'll rip off your balls <laughs> solo. It's just so, so yeah, Scottish. Yeah. <laughs> and I shouldn't find it jarring, but I do. I, I do find it very jarring. Um, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. But if it's all kind of balanced and, yeah. you know, I think it's quite cool. Doctor Who and, and Red Dwarf. It out to me. I want to ask one more thing, kind yeah, of from please. my notes here. So I'm going through it. I still haven't come up with why Sparrow and Nightingale are a thing. I haven't really come up with a few other things, but <laughs> I need to ask this. So the Doctor, when he's zapped, he's zapped to 1969. Got it. Yeah. Right. 
with it with his assistant, uh-huh. right? Randomly. Mm-hmm. By the way, why doesn't David Tennant use his Scottish accent? That's always been a little bugbear of mine. He's got a great accent. It's he not has a fantastic even, accent. Glaswegian plenty, and like that. plenty of Scottish actors have played the Doctor. Capaldi Four. used his accent, didn't he? Capaldi used his accent. Sylvester McCoy used his accent. I think it would have been great for Tennant to use his real voice because every now and again it, you can tell that he's putting it on. Yes. Like he does a very good job of it. Like I, I couldn't do an English accent as well as he does. I guess that's why he's an actor. I'm right. Not. But. Yeah, I don't know why he doesn't. It's always been a bugbear of mine. It's a bit like Shasad Latif in Star Trek Discovery using an American accent. It's fine, but I actually would prefer him to be... Clint uh, Fandango. Clint Fandango. <laughs> I'd actually would prefer to be Clint Fandango, actually. Just with the voice, anyway. He's a very good actor, but just... Because, again, you've got uh, Jason Isaacs being American. Yes. And I was kind of... My hope was Shazad Latif would use his British accent. Yeah. And he doesn't. But anyway, uh, that's neither here nor there. How does the Doctor get 17 DVD Easter eggs into 17 DVDs from 1969? How does that explain? Through Mr. Shipton. How is that possible? So, the Doctor gets zapped back. Him and Martha. Yeah. He gets zapped back in time. Right. With their file. Now, they've already got the file. Right. Because they actually met Sally already in the future, in the past. And so, they've got the file. They, they have a good idea of what's going to happen, therefore. So, they set about setting things up there's got to be some writing on the wall and i need to put a video into the following 17 dvds so when mr shipton gets zapped back he mentions in his deathbed speech i might have switched he, off at this yeah point. so you did you did so he in his deathbed speech he says i decided not to be a copper when i went back in time i went into he says something like marketing then media marketing and then he goes then dvds <laughs> right and so I completely didn't pick up on it. And then he says, have you noticed the link yet on all the DVDs? And then when she storms off with her preparation, she gets the list out and she's like, these are the only ones I own. That's the link. It's all 17. It's meant for me. So again, the Doctor had that list. He had the list of the DVDs and Time exactly what to say. So, I mean, your wife would hate this episode My wife beyond would... oh, measure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although she guessed it would be Blink. Like, she knew it was going to be Blink. She knows the legend of it. She knows yeah. it. And I think she might have even watched it. Mm-hmm. However, time paradoxes especially just get her down. Although, yeah. amazingly, probably the best episode of Star Trek Discovery Season 1 was a time paradox episode. Oh, that's it. Anyway. But, yeah, no, so the time, the time paradox element of it, as I say, it's actually my favourite part of it, just because they never really did that before, surprisingly. In you know seven seventy or eighty years of time travel drama, they never thought to try a time travel paradox episode. There you go. Um, and I think it's quite fun. I don't think it's uh, you know I think it's cleverly enough done. You know, obviously that ties up a loose end there for you. So it all kind of loops together and it all makes sense. And obviously you didn't love the fact that she goes running out and sees the Doctor at the end um, with what, his bow and arrow. With his bow. Well, what I liked about that is again. Uh, you know, you'll kill me if you use the word silly again, but it's what's fun about that for me is it's kind of like you remember in um, Steven Spielberg's World War of the Worlds, you never actually see anything happen. Yeah, it's all just from the perspective of Tom yes. Cruise and his family. Yeah, and that's kind of fun in its own way because we're just focusing away from this massive thing. We're not seeing any huge battles. In fact, sometimes they're going on just out of our eye shot, just out of reach. You know, and similarly, it's kind of fun to see. You know, that wasn't part of some other adventure. It's just, ah, I'm running around with a bow and arrow. There's three things happening. Well, four. And there's a lizard. And it's it's just kind of 
fun to have that happening in the background and not actually be seeing what's going oh, on. Oh, no, I was absolutely having fine him running with off that. To that, and you know, then the loop concludes. Yeah, with her it's just the over. irony of her basically standing around waiting for it to happen. It just so happens to happen in front of her shop that then that has to start there. I think that that was a part of it more than anything else for me, but. I understand these things have to start somewhere. So it was unlikely she was going to have the file with her on yeah. holiday in wherever, and then he turns up. You what, know. what what would have been good is, again, they'd established at some point that there was actually a whole group of people on Earth who knew who the Doctor was and tracked his various appearances throughout you know, Earth's history because he turns up so much and he always saves the world. Um, and, you know, it would have been cool if she had, like, tried to investigate who is the doctor? Someone help me find the doctor. And, you know, someone's like, oh, well, you know, he's going to turn up in about five years uh, at this church at this time. You know, it's something, I don't know. They, they could have they made it more of an effort on her part to maybe get the file to him so it doesn't just so happen. I think part of that is, I think from my pre-reading that this was actually a quick written episode meant to be a, a kind of a bottle show. A bottle show. episode, yeah. Where they would save which, some cash for the which rest is of the why presumably David Tennant's only in it for about ten minutes. Exactly, exactly. And of course, you think about it with the statues. Yeah. Again, not too expensive to get those done, and everything compared to yeah. say CGI battle and or whatever. Well, and that's that's interesting for me because often I really love a bottle episode, you know, because oh yeah, yeah. What what tends to happen is it brings out people's creativity a bit more, which is probably like, what's okay, happened so, here. Yeah, right? we don't have a huge budget, and we can't actually do this. So there's like there's episodes of Star Trek where mm -hmm. they focus on there's one where they focus on a bunch of sort of lower members of the crew and it's you only briefly see Riker and Picard and everyone else and you see them from the perspective of the crew and again that was probably just a cheap money saving episode they didn't go off ship yeah nothing big happened but actually it was a really really well done episode exactly that gives a bit of rare character development yeah and. Yeah, so I think, again, that's probably what attracts me to this episode here. Yeah, and there's a great episode of Babylon 5 like that, which mm -hmm. actually is not meant to be. It's actually, it was, it was written as is. It wasn't meant to, to save money, but um, it was called Intersections in Real Time, and it's a, a, an episode that takes place over 45 minutes where Sheridan is being um, interviewed by someone. Um, I can't spoil it, I don't think, because I don't know if you've actually got up to that point yet. So it's kind of deep into season four. Um, yeah, but basically, the whole thing takes place over 45 minutes in one set. So again, you're kind of cutting your costs and you're, you're cutting things. So it can be quite creative and it's certainly better than a clip show. Oh, God. I don't think they've ever done that, actually, Doctor Who. So we can be thankful for that. We can be thankful for that. And look, and look like in, in wrapping this up, you know, I appreciated you showing me it. And, you know, I did appreciate that it was a different type of episode, kind of a time travel one. I did really like the girl who played Sally Sparrow. We haven't really talked much about her, but... Um, Kind of the classic Doctor Who foibles have still kind of hold me back from really embracing this giant of British science fiction. And part of it is because I don't really get along with British science fiction because it's because all the things that I do like about being British in regards to TV and film, which is it's a bit silly, we don't really take ourselves too seriously in certain regards, yeah. um, kind of just strike me as odd in science fiction. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> like, I really like things like Monty Python and stuff, but when it's kind of transcribed into Mitchell and Webb being <laughs> robots who argue on a <laughs> TARDIS, you're like, I'm out at the moment. I just can't get on board with this. That's fair. That's fair. Well, you know, it's it's 
in my mind, is better than I could have hoped for. <laughs> <laughs> this went a lot better than yeah. I was expecting. <laughs> I, I, I don't... I, like I say, there's there's other episodes that exist, and maybe maybe one day in a year or two we'll sit down and, and have a look at another one. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's, as I say, probably a handful that I think you could watch and enjoy in a, in a, a sense. But as I say, where I, I knew that you, you know... You obviously felt very triumphant at, at being able to get me onto Babylon Five. I knew that I'd never be able to get you to like Doctor Who, for all the things that drive me nuts. But I can still survive. Yeah. I know that you couldn't. <laughs> also, let's face it. I am a twat. You are a twat. I, you're, very, I, I, you're, you're very dour man. <laughs> <laughs> and also, whereas like you've managed to kind of come to this point in your life where you're like, actually, you know what? I had all those hang-ups when I was younger. That was stupid, wasn't it? Because <laughs> <laughs> your bigger brother is more like... I live with those hang-ups. I love those hang-ups. I live with them, but I will take them to my deathbed. <laughs> Did you ever like Plate 7, Steve? Never! <laughs> Another great show. Um, okay, so wrapping this up then, what, uh, what are we going to discuss next time? What are we going to do next time? Well, next time, Chris... Um, I think there's a film that I've always wanted to make you watch, which is uh, a classic of 1980s, um, I don't even know how to say horror, but sci-fi horror, and directed by John Carpenter, starring Kurt Russell, and we're going to do The Thing. Okay. Uh, which I have actually bought for you on Blu-ray, so it's uh, a bit like with me, but you're a lot easier to get on board. <laughs> we'll sit you down to watch it, and uh, we'll talk all about it next time. Okay, I'll look forward to that. Well, thanks very much for listening. If you want to engage with us on social media, you can uh, go to our Facebook page. That's at Oh Brother Podcast. You can go onto our Twitter at Oh Brother Pod. And please go onto your app of choice and like if you're not subscribed. iTunes, Stitcher, tune in. tune in. All those shit ones. Yeah, you can say, you can say Alexa, play the next Oh Brother what are we watching? Does that even work? I don't think it she works. She struggles, but it's just because of the name. We are on the directory. Oh, cool. But I think she searches OH. That would do it. We might that have, is a problem. We might have shot ourselves in the foot by calling it OH. Well, we unfortunately, we had to come up with a unique one. Yeah. If you are on any of those mediums, by the way, tell me why Doctor Who is good. Yeah, do and I'll engage, listen. Do engage I'll with listen. Steve. Because I know there's fans out there. So do, do feel free to... And I won't uh, tell you to wibbly wobbly fuck off. <laughs> I love the tightly wimey thing, it's the best line uh, in the whole show. Okay, great. <coughs> we'll see you next time. See you next time.